Recovery Elevator, episode 418. Because I didn't have any friends, but I was also healing from a long journey of just unresolved trauma and not knowing how to cope with this adult, not having anyone to turn to and turning to alcohol instead. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm so happy you're here with us. On today's show, we have Bethany. She's 34 from Michigan and took her last drink in January of 2021. Nice job, Bethany. I want to do a quick shout out to our chat host over in Cafe RE. We have a great group of people over there creating space to share, support, and heal with one another. You're all amazing. Thank you for what you do. Before we get into the intro, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Soberlink. Did you know there are 15 million people in the United States with an alcohol use disorder? And yet, there's still a stigma that surrounds addiction and recovery. We need to stop being ashamed and start sharing in our sobriety. That's why we're so excited to have a sponsor like Soberlink who shares in our beliefs. If you haven't heard of Soberlink Alcohol Monitoring System, it's the perfect accountability tool for those in recovery. It can help you rebuild trust and get back on track despite slips or relapses. We've teamed up with Soberlink to provide you with tips for handling a relapse, which is a guide that can be downloaded at www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery dash elevator. On that page, you'll also find a form to sign up for a $50 off promo code for you or a loved one who is ready to take the next steps in their recovery journey. All right. As a rural North Dakotan, my life has many small blessings. I'm not much more than a mile away from every business in my little town. My 35-mile commute to work takes almost exactly 35 minutes to drive, as long as a farmer isn't moving his cattle or equipment, or as long as we don't have 12 inches of snow blowing 130 miles an hour across the plains. We know a lot of people in our community, and if we need help with just about anything, it's usually only a phone call away. When we painted our house last summer, our neighbor brought over an elevated platform without us even asking. When our grass got too long because we're on vacation, my buddy came over with his big riding lawnmower and lent a hand. It's a quaint little life here in Mayberry, and Aunt B's apple pie is the icing on top. Another part of the rural North Dakota experience is our trips to town. Once or twice a month, my wife and I will head to town. For us, that's the sprawling metropolis of Bismarck, where the population of the metro area is nearly 135,000 people. That is about 132,000 more than our little town. For what it's worth, I know that's not a lot of people. I've been able to live on each coast when I was in the military, and Bismarck is still one of my favorite little places. Our little town has us spoiled, though. We don't usually have to wait in line at the store or deal with traffic lights at home. In fact, there are no traffic lights in our county. A couple weeks ago, on one of these trips to town, it was an exceptionally busy Saturday, and we had a lot of errands to run. After just two stops, I found myself getting frustrated. The parking lots were full, people were putting their carts in the middle of the aisles, and the kids were being kids and making a ton of noise. I was having a bit of sensory overload, 
and grumpy Chris was trying to schedule an appearance. Many a trip to town has been spoiled by grumpy Chris, so it's best for sober-minded Chris to take action. As we stood in Target, smelling about 200 or so candles, I mumbled to myself, serenity now, serenity now. My wife giggled at me and rolled her eyes a bit. Outwardly, I was saying the mantra of Frank Costanza, but on the inside, I was saying something else. As I sniffed the tea tree and spearmint candle that now lives in our upstairs bathroom, I closed my eyes and ran through the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Even though my wife may have giggled and made a face, she knows the deal. Sometimes I just need to pause to get out of that moment of frustration, to pull back away from the irritation that the world is not rolling out the red carpet for me, and to reconnect with myself. If I'm able to pause and pay attention to each of the lines in the prayer, it can help me shift away from that thinking that the world needs to serve me and I can start to exist with others and maybe even be of a little service along the way. So let's take a look at the lines in the prayer. A little disclaimer, I'm going to use the word God, but I hope that doesn't stop you from listening to the rest of this intro. There's a great chapter in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous called To the Agnostics that talks about what a higher power or God can be. I think this can apply to all of us, regardless of our beliefs or non-beliefs. All right. So the first line, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. What can I not change in the situation that I'm in? I can't change the other people, not for lack of trying. I can't change the weather. I can't change the traffic. I can't change how loud those kids are. And I can't change whether or not Costco is going to have good samples out today or if their sparkling water options will be on point. I also can't change how loved ones feel about the shit that I pulled when I was drinking. I can't change the way my friends in active addiction choose to deal with their issues. And I can't change my past, that past that put me where I am today. I'm asking for serenity in this knowledge. I don't have to love it, but help me to not be troubled by it. I'm looking for peace, if only for the fact that it is out of my control. Next, the courage to change the things I can. An actionable item. What can I change here? I don't have to rush through the parking lot or through the store. I can show patience and grace to those around me. Again, I can pull back from trying to pacify myself and I can look for opportunities to serve the people around me. This service doesn't have to be buying someone's groceries or shoveling their driveway. It can simply be being kind to them. These are things I can change. Notice the theme here. It's all about me. I am what I can change. But what about the courage part? Give me the courage. Give me the courage to change how I treat someone who has hurt me. Give me the courage to forgive. Give me the courage to make right a wrong that I've done. Give me the courage to do the next right thing. And last, the wisdom to know the difference. I need a little knowledge, so hook a brother up. My ego can get in the way and try to get me see things in a way to protect itself. This is where I need that wisdom. I'm looking for guidance. Certain situations might call for some protection from people or places that might do me harm, but some situations call for humility and vulnerability. I look to God or to a group of people who support me to help me distinguish the difference. Eventually, I can start to trust myself while still maintaining a connection with my support. I can learn when it's time to open up to someone and let them back in my life. 
I can learn when I need to clear up my past and make things right with people. I can learn when it's time for me to make a move and when it's time for me to pause. And I can trust that I'm contributing to the greater good instead of making myself greater and that the discomfort that I feel right now is going to pass. I'm going to be okay. That's it. Simple, right? I'm not going to pretend that this is an immediate fix for all of life's problems. It's just not. But it provides me with a moment, a moment to see how I fit into things, a moment to pause and reflect on what I want to give to the situation at hand. It's a chance to bring me into alignment with the life that I want to live and the person I want to be rather than being driven by impulsivity and reaction. Like my friend Patrick talks about, it helps create that gap between what I'm thinking and what I do. The more I do that, the easier it is for me to find peace. Even in the toughest of situations, serenity is possible. I don't have to get it perfect today. I just have to try. Before we hear from Bethany, let's hear from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How many times have you felt like you can't make positive changes in your life if you aren't feeling 100%? I know that for me, I don't always feel like I'm at my best. I've learned through therapy, though, that not feeling my best does not equal to not feeling empowered. I can accept my emotional wobbles and still feel empowered to take care of myself and my mental health. We have agency. We can get to the point where we trust ourselves enough to move forward in the right direction. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient and flexible. Also, it's entirely online. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional cost. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash elevator recovery elevator please help me welcome bethany bethany how you doing oh not so bad on you i'm cold but but good cold, otherwise yes that too <laughs> good, good otherwise uh thank you for coming on the show i'm excited to to get a chance to visit with you uh can you let listeners know how long you've been sober i am two <laughs> weeks shy of two years two weeks shy of two years nice job yeah, but today th- that's awesome. So, how how are you feeling? I like can't believe it. Like I can believe it, but I also can't. Like like it finally happened and I stuck to it. That's awesome. I feel good about it. We well, should. Two years is an amazing feat and uh and yeah. I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of you. So nice job. Thank you. Before we dig into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, age, family, things like that, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? All right. I am 34 years old. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and through a series of unfortunate events, I ended up living in Michigan. I should say fortunate events. They felt unfortunate at the time, but, you know... Things work in mysterious ways. I have two kids and a fiance. I just graduated college or yeah, I just graduated from the University of Michigan in like last May where my fiance proposed to me at my grad party and that was a little embarrassing, but that was nice because everyone <laughs> could see it. I am an enge- engineer by education and I 
work as an account manager at a tier two, which is a, a supplier to tier ones that build cars and parts that go in cars. So I'm like right. a few removed from the automotive industry, which I like being there. It's a better position to be in. Let's not forget, most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, for fun. I like to play Fortnite. I like video games a lot. And we've been playing Fortnite like a lot, a lot lately, like every day, like after <laughs> dinner for a couple of hours between dinner and, you know, when we're all having our relaxed time, me and my fiance, we'll play Fortnite for a few hours and that's been a lot of fun. But when weather's nice, I do like to do stuff outside. I like to run a few times a week and I like, I mean, we go camping. I really like to travel, which fiance doesn't but he does it anyways because i like to do it and i as long as i arrange everything he doesn't have a problem with it i should say that he doesn't he doesn't dislike traveling he doesn't like like the process of being in an airplane and going places and that type of stuff but being new places being there is fun but i think that's most people yeah um yeah i'm not a big fan of planes either it's convenient yeah what a pain yeah i like board games stuff like that just stuff where i'm spending quality time with other people all right, Bethany, let's uh, let's do what we came here to do and talk a little bit about addiction. Let's let's start with your relationship with alcohol, maybe where it started or, or some of the precursors, and we'll just keep walking forward. Well, the first time I ever drank, I was a sophomore in high school, but I was still 14 at the time because my birthday is in October and I was like a year ahead, like technically, even though I was only a couple of months younger than most of my classmates. So first time I ever drank was at a hotel it was something it was either 4-H or something similar I got like I just you know drank to oblivion because I grew up at a very sheltered household that had never really been around people who drank because my dad was an alcoholic and he quit drinking like I've never I think I've seen my dad drink a glass of wine one time in my life and so I just didn't know anything about it and I you know all I knew was what I saw on tv or in movies and I just thought that what do you drink you just get trashed and that's what you do and I got super sick and I don't remember, like it was a long time before I drank again because I was like super duper hungover and felt like crap. And then eventually over time got into the regular high school party scene and, you know, some questionable delinquent activities, but I was also big into sports. So I like when I was playing a sport, I didn't party because I was focusing on a sport. So it's like, I wouldn't say I had rules necessarily. I think I was just like focused. Like my relationship started in high school, but it didn't really cross any unforgivable, like any boundaries. Like it didn't get in the way until after, I should say. Because I had a traumatic relationship my senior year of high school where it was like one of those relationships that you get in just because like all your friends are in relationships and you don't want to be alone type of thing. Like, so the first person who asked me out, I just dated them. Right. And he was younger than me and it was just a toxic relationship because neither of us knew what, you know, we're, you're in high school. No one knows anything, but you, yeah. think, you think, you know, everything, you know, I ended up, it was just toxic. Like it was not good. It wasn't based on anything other than physical attraction, which led to me uh, having an abortion when I was in high school. And that happened in like February. I didn't break up with him until after I graduated. And it's like, the reason I had an abortion is because when I got pregnant, I was like, I do not want to spend the rest of my life with this guy. 
like before that happened, I was really involved in the church. Like I would go to church, I would go to the youth groups on Sundays, on Wednesday nights, and I would go to multiple services on Sundays to like hang out with friends because there would be like a main service and there would be like the service that they had the youth group activities during and I would go to main church and then also youth group. And so that's how I met that guy. Like he went to that church and after the abortion happened and then after I broke up with him, I didn't feel welcome there anymore. And I think I lost a large piece of my community. And then when I went to college on a track scholarship, the thing about the track scholarship, that only paid for the tuition. I didn't have like the extra stuff paid for, which was fine because it was just community college. So it wasn't that expensive, but like the partying got more intense. I was incredibly lost and I was incredibly depressed. And it wasn't because of the abortion. It was because of the lies that he told about me and made it so that I felt like I couldn't show my face anymore. And that really sucked. I latched on. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> that sounds like a like an incredibly tough place to be in, Bethany. Just I just want to acknowledge that that that's I mean that's just a shitty thing that happens sometimes. And that's not to that's gosh, that's not to justify it. But that just to acknowledge that that loss of yeah you know as a result of like one thing that happened in your life to feel like you've been separated or removed from that community and i think you know faith-based things i i know it can be very deep and personal connections and then to feel like that's that's been pulled away from you as a result of it's yeah and especially because like he like i had been going to that church for several years and he was the new one mm -hmm. so it was almost like why do you not believe me or why like it's not that no one it's just that no one even bothered to ask me about it they just assumed it was the truth like there was no discussion to be had and you know i kind of glommed on to like the first friend group that would have me and um they were not a good influence at all i'm not going to blame them but i'm going to blame my uh you know I was exposed to a certain level of partying that I hadn't been exposed to before. And then I kind of completely lost track. And, you know, since I talked about being 34 and just graduating college, I think we can all assume that I didn't make it through it the first time around. <laughs> Not uh, all plans work out as we no. intend. So, all right. So you get into college, you've just had this, like this separation that you've been through with, with, you know, not just a, a guy and, and the abortion, but just like that, that loss of community, you're, you're hungry for something and you, you find this group of, uh, of peers and yeah. uh, fall into some bad habits. So let's keep going. Yes. Well, I was falling into some bad habits. I didn't that first semester of what would have been my sophomore year. I didn't go to my classes because I didn't have money for books and I didn't have anyone that I felt comfortable enough to turn to. And it just, after that happened, it was like gas pedal on, you know, the partying just to like escape and like not deal with it and not think about it. And I just wanted to feel differently than how I did. And so I started getting, you know, into harder stuff, like what I like to call party drugs. I never did, you know, you know, the really bad ones. Like I didn't do crack or heroin or meth. But if it was a drug that people did at parties and they put it in front of me, I would try it. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily crave it or want it the next day but if it was offered to me i was a girl so a lot of things were offered to me that i didn't have to pay for so i was like oh, okay why not just give this a shot and i did that for like a good year 
where I was just partying really hard year, year and a half. And then I, when I was coming out of that really depressive, really bad partying stage, like that's when I met my ex-husband and he made me feel like wanted and he made me feel like almost like he wanted to rescue me and I needed to be rescued. And I ended up getting pregnant. I'm like, not have an abortion this time. And we ended up getting married, which was a big mistake. But if I wouldn't, I wouldn't have my second kid. And, you know, I wouldn't be in Michigan now. So I'm thankful for that failed marriage because a lot of, I learned a lot. He, I mean, we just weren't compatible. And it was a t- another toxic relationship because I, I didn't mention this. I don't know why, but my mother passed away at a very young age. I was four. And so, and my dad never remarried. So I didn't have an example of a strong relationship. I had never seen adults work out conflict or, you know, how a wife is supposed to treat a husband or how a husband is supposed to treat a wife. And so when I got into these relationships, I was just going by off of what I saw around me, which was other teenagers and other, you know, what's on TV, which is like complete, you know, a drama. It's, it's a bunch so I just of thought that's how you act, you know? Yeah. It's a bunch of horror shit. I don't know. I just, it took me a long time, you know, like now I'm starting to realize like I had no, like now that I'm in a healthy relationship, I'm starting to realize just how unhealthy those relationships were for me. He was in the military. So he, you know, there's a big drinking culture with the military, like huge. I mean, everyone knows it. Like it's not a secret. It's openly encouraged and celebrated. So that also kind of normalized the drinking. And then there were some, traumatic things that happened between me and him which i'm not going to get into because i don't think that's you know fair to him but you know ultimately our drinking got completely out of hand and we reached a point of no return and i ended up leaving him and moving to michigan and that's like towards the end of our marriage that's when the real real problems really started to show themselves like i know i've talked about like the party drugs and stuff like that but that like i like when i was like if someone didn't hand it to me i never sought it out i was never like i want to do this all the time anyways and then when towards the end of the marriage when the i started noticing that the drinking like i couldn't i was starting to get to the point my drinking was getting in the way of being a good parent and my drinking like it was hard for me to go a day without without it yeah. and i remember trying to make, you know, that's when the rules started. And that was 2014 was when we uh, started, was when I started like noticing that, like, man, I just, let's, it's a Tuesday night. You don't really need to drink tonight. And it would be really hard just to make it through the night, not drinking. Before we dig into, I want to hear more about that, but just, I just wanted to comment real quick. You know, you said something about, uh, about losing your mom and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but there's, I think there's something there that a lot of us can probably relate to is that I think so many people have these these unmet needs as kids and mm-hmm. and it's and oh, it, absolutely. <laughs> it can look like a lot of different things whether it's a a loss of a parent at a young age or maybe our parents are just too busy at work or with their personal lives or whatever like it it, it can look a lot of different ways but if we don't have if we don't have, you know, healthy relationships, healthy coping mechanisms, healthy boundaries, if these things aren't modeled to us, and sometimes even if they are, but it, it can be tough for us. You know, we're learning, we're learning these life lessons the hard way. And, and like you said, you were, Mm -hmm. when you were looking for what a relationship is supposed to look like, or what our behavior is supposed to be like, what do you have to look at? You look at what's around you and it's, it's your peers. It's, it's, 
you know, culture and like anybody who mm -hmm. like even a healthy relationship that you're watching on TV is still like, it's just, every, I mean, everything's dramatized and that's okay. I mean, it's entertainment, right? It's still not real. But yeah, yeah that's not, yeah. that's not what, that's not what things look like in real life. But anyway, that just caught my attention is that, yeah, there's so many of us. We don't, we don't know what these things are supposed to be. Yeah. So when we, especially like having kids, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, it just, uh, we 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 learn the hard way and the, some of those lessons are are hard they're hard learned so I, I just want to acknowledge that and I think I think there's a lot of people who are gonna who can who will be able to resonate with that just that sentiment of like I didn't know how to do I didn't know how to be an adult I didn't know how to be in a relationship I didn't know how to deal mm -hmm. with with the stresses of life so uh around 2014 you said you That's you started to to uh, notice like all right maybe Tuesday doesn't need to be a drunk day maybe and started yeah. playing with some rules and stuff yeah and started trying not to drink on the weekdays or you know like I went I started going back like that year I started going back to church and I found a really good uh, community and I think that's kind of what gave me the strength to leave my um, very toxic marriage that I was in at the time so I'm thankful for that but yeah it was like not good it was like I would write on a beer and I would go to the store and get more. And sometimes my kids might be in the car with me and that's unacceptable. You know, like no one knows that I, like I wasn't drunk, drunk, but it should be zero alcohol when your kids are in the car. It doesn't matter how much or how little it shouldn't be done. And then when I moved to Michigan, I was just, you know, I was hurting. I did have some supportive family here that um, did their best to help me. But, you know, I was on my own and with every spare cent that I had that didn't have to go towards putting a roof over my kid's head or feeding them, you know, like I didn't have spare money, I should say, because I like my babysitter was really kind and I would end up giving her a lot of money when I got would get my tax returns. But like I canceled. There's this one memory in my mind where I was already drunk and I didn't need more alcohol. And I had no money and I canceled my Spotify subscription and called them and asked for an immediate refund so I could go buy more booze. Mm -hmm. And it was like in the middle of the night, my kids were asleep. I shouldn't have left the house. And I did like, it was, you know, close enough that I could walk there, but it still like, doesn't make it okay. Yeah. I think that paints a picture of, like, the, of the types of things that, that we'll do. And we're just that, I mean, that's addiction. That's just shitty yeah. addiction where we, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not rational. It's not reasonable, but, but we just, I don't know. We, we feel like we have to have this thing in this time frame. Did you ever have, uh, did you have any recognition? Like this shit, like, like this needs to stop. Um, I think not yet because I was in so much pain and everyone I was around was drinking the people. I don't want to sit here and talk smack. But the people that I were around at the time, they were all heavy drinkers. And it's just, everyone's like, where I'm from, everyone's a heavy drinker. I'm like, that's not true. It's just, I was a heavy drinker. So I surrounded myself with heavy drinkers. So no one around me wanted to say anything because I am not, I'm not the most approachable person. I do not take criticism well. And I definitely give off a vibe that I'm not someone you want to mess with. Like, I don't mean to. I used to want to be that way when I was younger because it was like a protective thing because I didn't want to get hurt, become a lot more approachable and gentle, you know, as I get older. But I still give off 
you know, what, what I'm told are raging bitch vibes. <laughs> That's real so subtle. <laughs> if people, if, so if there were people who wanted to say something, they didn't. And I didn't think there's anything wrong with it because everyone I was around, like that's how they coped with hard times. They drank, but that's how they coped with good times. They drank everything that happened. The number one accessory was alcohol. So I'm sure somewhere beneath I knew like, like there were times, like I didn't like to day drink because it made me feel gross, but you know, every once in a while I would work my way up to day drinking and then I would dial it back and I'd work it up to day drinking. And then I would dial up like, it was like a cycle. You know, showing up hungover every day to work, especially when I moved to first shift, was like torture. But I still showed up. And because I was showing up to work, even though I felt like, you know, crap, then I matter. And then I'd get sick of being hungover and I'd make it a couple of days not drinking and not being hungover. And like, oh, this is great. And then I would reward myself by drinking, feeling like crap again. So I was just one of those vicious cycles yeah. I got into. We, we surround ourselves with, with people who, have similar habits and traits. And again, this is, you know, you, you said it too. It's not about, it's not about putting them down or, or saying that these people dragged us down. I mean, this is what they were doing. This is what we were doing. I mean, we looked for people who had similar behavior to us so that we don't receive that criticism and that, that our, our behavior can be accepted. And that's not, a, I don't think that's a judgment thing. That's just a, a, a statement and it becomes part of everything, right? It's a, it's there for yeah. the celebrations. It's there for the morning. It's a tool that we're using for every aspect of our life. Well, let's, yeah. let's keep, let's keep walking it forward. All right. I uh, kept up this pattern for a while and then I eventually met my uh, now fiance who has been very good to me. I mean, but we met at a friend, a mutual friend who is someone I went to high school with, which is weird because I was, a, I'm in Michigan and we were both from Tucson. So it's just funny that that's how uh, I met my fiance through someone from Arizona. So anyways, so we met through this mutual friend and, you know, I was drinking heavily that night, of course, because I had been, you know, that it was just my usual, but I had also been stood up by someone who was supposed to join me at the event that I met my fiance at. But, you know, looking back, like, thank God that guy didn't show up. He sucked. <laughs> and we started dating and my drinking just continued and accelerated because he doesn't have the same issues like he can put it down and walk away and go without and it doesn't bother him he doesn't think about it when he's not drinking it like and i was you know becoming abusive i was not good to my fiance and he probably should have left me several times and he did not and which i'm obviously thankful for but you know there's a part of me that's really sad that i put him through some of the shit that i used to go through you know like one of the ways that I like to sum up is like in my head and I don't want you to take offense to this, but it was like when I used like, cause you were one of the first podcasts I listened to you. And then I, I listened to like was your story. And then I've also obviously followed along with like your wife's side of sort things. And so what happened was like, I used to be Amy and then I became, but like, you know, like it's that's that story, like, you know, or, people who have been, you know, abused become the abuser. And I was not a good person to him. And he started calling my shit out. And so I would try to drink less or try to 
drink faster so I could go to bed early so that I wouldn't stay up long enough to be an asshole or I would take out my frustrations on social media and I would, I don't know how many times I deactivated Facebook because I did something embarrassing I didn't want to, um, you know, think about or own up to deactivate it and go away and I just want to have Facebook for a few months because I wasn't, you know, I was embarrassed. Yeah. And I would, you know, I would be an asshole and then I would just hide in my room all day because I was so ashamed of how mean I was. And like, I would say stuff that I know, like, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't remember it. And it's not because I can't remember stuff. It's because I didn't want to, like, I pushed it out of my mind. I don't want to think that I'm, I was capable of those things. And so he started, you know, expressing that it was a problem, but he never said that I needed to quit. He let me know that he would prefer it if I did. I think a large reason why he stayed with me is because there needed to be one stable parent in my kids' lives. And for that five years, he was a stable parent. That first five years of our relationship, he was, you know, the reason why they have nice things in their life and why they, you know, make, he made sure they got their schoolwork done. Well, also going back to school, I also used being in college as an excuse. Like, well, I'm in college, so I can drink like I'm in college because that's, I'm never going to get this opportunity. And it's like, dude, you already did that. Um, when you quit college the first time, don't think uh, you would have learned, but no, <laughs> I didn't. It just kept getting worse and worse. And I kept drinking more and earlier, like I was, I, I definitely dialed back on the shitty treatment towards him, but it was still being, I was still treating people poorly that I cared about that didn't deserve it. And I like just lashing out for no reason, completely unprovoked, like just making when everything came to a head and I had finally reached like that critical mass where like I had to stop. It was like I had gone on, you know, it was around the holidays, like towards the end of the year. And I had just been shitty to like someone that I knew since I was like four years old I basically messaged her on Facebook and told her what a piece of shit friend I thought she was and she's like what are you talking about I said you weren't there for me have a nice life and she's like like just dropping a bomb out of nowhere and then walking away who does a freaking crazy person that's who and so I still haven't talked to her and that was two years ago and then I was also rude to my sister-in-law who I care very much about and I love very deeply on her Facebook, just making shitty comments about how she wasn't social distancing, like just stupid, like stirring the pot. It was completely unprovoked. Like she's allowed to see her grandkids. Like, I don't know. It was just like, just, you know, that hurt people, hurt people saying that's what I was doing. Yeah. You know, a lot of, you know, just rewinding, talking about uh, your relationship for a minute first, uh, I hear, I hear a lot of, a lot of myself in there as well. Mm-hmm. The, just feeling this unrest or this unease inside with, with who we are, you know, we're, we're frustrated with, with our behavior. We're not happy with ourselves. We've got disappointments, resentments, things that we're carrying around. And I think so many of us try to project, we, we project that outward because we can't, we can't handle what we're feeling internally. So it manifests externally. And unfortunately, you know, the people closest to us are the ones who end up taking the hit and that's, it, it sucks. It's, I mean, that's like the understatement of the decade is that, that it sucks what we do to these people, but, but yeah, they, it's unfortunate. And that's, I mean, that's part of so many of our stories. And then listening to you talk about the control as well, you know, trying to get drunk sooner just to be able to like, fuck, let me get to bed before I do something terrible to this guy, man. I just, it, that a lot of that hits home, Bethany. It's, um, there's so many of us who've 
who have done these types of things to to the people who mean the most to us. And that just I think that just the like the the last couple comments about lashing out to people through social media. I mean, that's just another way of there's something that just there's a tremendous amount of pain inside and it's got nowhere to go and we're just trying to put it somewhere trying to find a way yeah. to to alleviate some of that and yeah a lot of times it ends up being you know not the healthiest healthiest thing but you mentioned that yeah. you got to a point of of that critical mass mm-hmm. let's talk about that well on top of the two incidents i just described there was another one where someone that i was friends with was complaining about something and it doesn't matter what the context was the way i handled it was like i was so mean i told her that she was a drain on society mm-hmm. like because she was it doesn't matter what we were talking about i was i just i said that to her like and she was one of my closest friends was there for me when a lot of people weren't and it doesn't matter you know you don't treat it doesn't matter what the other person did or whether or not someone deserves no one deserves to hear that that's so mean and my Facebook had been deactivated again because I was ashamed of my behavior and so it was the simplest thing it was my sister's birthday and then you know this is when schools so we're still not in person all the way mm-hmm. I think they I think my kids are actually at home because they had like a two-week period after the holidays where they like made everybody stay home afterwards because you know, COVID um it was like 11 o'clock or maybe even noon and my kids were out in the kitchen doing their schoolwork and my sister video called me and I was hungover in bed when I should have been at least like not necessarily lording over my kids but I should have at least been present I should have been nearby in case they needed something or if I need to redirect them to stay focused and my sister called me because she wanted it was her birthday and she wanted to talk to my kids I it should have like I should have been calling her. You know what I mean? It was just everything was backwards. She yeah. didn't even know. But I, at the time, I thought she knew because I had answered the phone. And I was like, it was dark because I was sitting in my room because I was hungover. And I probably done something embarrassing the night before or been an asshole or who knows. You know, insert reason here to why I was hiding in there. And I was just like, I can't fucking do this. Like, I was so embarrassed. Because it was like, again, because my sister was probably the only, like the sister who called me, because I have two sisters. She, uh, she was the only one that I really, you know, from two years before I reached that point, I had bought Annie Grace's book about uh, this naked mind and I had been reading it and I didn't finish it in that two years, which if you know me, Chris, I'm an avid reader. I love books. I read books. I listen to them like constantly, like love them. And and I had not finished one because it like placed that cognitive dissonance in my brain and I didn't like it. Like for some reason wasn't ready for it. I was resistant to it, but I had bought that book and I expressed to my sister that I wanted to, you know, quit drinking. Not a lot, but I had done it here and there, but I don't like saying stuff and then like not going through with it. Yeah. And so when this happened again and it was like, God, one person that I've been like, like I had told her like the year before, like in 2019, like I am going to quit drinking this year because I don't want to drink in the new decade or something stupid. And of course I didn't make it even 10 days. And so I was just like, God, like when are you going to stop being this way? And then I was getting, you know, I could see graduation on the horizon because this whole time this is going on, I'm, you know, studying to be a mechanical engineer, which is not easy, but I don't like to do anything the easy way. So I don't know why I complain about it. Like, it's not fun for me if it isn't hard. 
Like <laughs> there's no challenge. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with it anyways. And I knew I need to get an internship and I was just sick of like not being a good parent, not being a good partner, not being a good sister, not, you know, insert, not being a good friend. And I just, I was at work that night and I started Googling podcasts for alcoholics. I found recovery elevator. And I think one of the, I think the first one I listened to was the new year's podcast with Odette and Trish from the happier hour. And they were talking about the joy of missing out. Um, and that podcast, that particular episode, like showed me that there's so like that there is a way and that I don't have to be like that. And I, and I'm not alone and that not only are people not drinking, but like, they're like, I used to be exactly like you and I hated it. And I couldn't stop and I couldn't stop. And then, you know, finally on my 80th try of, you know, cause you tell yourself, okay, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to stop. Right. And I wouldn't tell anybody that. And I would make it like two days and I'd start drinking again because I couldn't make it past that, but I didn't, you know, and I just, that's that episode. And like that night, right. Cause I was, that's when I was still working at Meyer. but immediately listened to another one where there was a guy I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about drinking tea in the evenings. And I was like, that probably also saved it because the first one made me feel like I was well. The second one gave me a tool that I could use. And I bought an electric tea kettle and sleepy time tea and like avoided the basement, avoided anything with alcohol. And like, honestly, those first like few days are a blur. Like I don't, like I remember being shaky and basically I was going, I didn't realize it probably till a year later, but I was going through withdrawals. I didn't realize, like, I just didn't realize, like, how much it had affected me phys- physiologically until it was gone. Like, holy cow. How did I function? Like, now that I haven't drank in quite some time, I'm like, how How did I function for so long? How did I? I don't know. I think that's super cool that and that just shows the power of the power of storytelling. And I'm so glad that you found uh, that you found those episodes. And like you said, the, the first one kind of gave you like that hope and inspiration. And then the second one mm-hmm. tools. And that's, I mean, that's so much of, of what recovery is, is storytelling and us listening to what other people have done and finding, all right, what, you know, what did Steve do that I can do? What did Alan, what did Bobby, what yeah. did Tammy like, all right, what can I grab from these people's stories mm-hmm. and, and apply to my life? And I'm so glad you found that. We've got a few minutes before we get to to rapid fire, and I just want to hear what the last what the last couple of years have have looked like for you. All right, the first seven months, seven or eight months were difficult. They were very hard in the beginning because about I actually joined CAF, the Cafe RE a, maybe a month, maybe two weeks. I don't remember how long before I I had to be in a wedding. I was in a wedding with an open bar and I think I knew I needed support. So I joined up cafe. I read that. And they were also having a price increase. So I'm like, I got to get in there before that <laughs> <laughs> price increase hits. And like ha- knowing that there was accountability helped me stay sober at that wedding, but that was very close. Like I could envision myself walking up to the bar and getting a drink. It was very hard the first eight months, but there were a lot of moments of, me realizing that I was in the moment and enjoying life and realizing that I was in the best part of my life because my kid um, started playing softball that spring. And just, I remember sitting there watching her and just being so happy and so present because before then I would have been thinking about, okay, when is this going to be over? 
so I can go home and drink. One of the kids going to bed so I can go home and drink. Like I was never there because I was just waiting until it was acceptable for me to get, drink. Like I, that's all it was about. Like I would even disguise cleaning the house as a reason to drink because as long as I was cleaning, I can drink. It's acceptable because I'm being productive. But I had to like relearn how to do stuff. Like I didn't garden that first year because I used to use gardening as an excuse to drink outside, to day drink on days that I didn't have to work or have school. And there were a lot of things that I kind of avoided because I was afraid, like I just wouldn't do it. We also went camping with, you know, and there's drinking with camping, but I didn't drink. And I think some people thought I was pregnant. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just not drinking right now. They asked me why I said, because when I drink, I'm an asshole. And they're like, oh, okay. Like, but the people that we're surrounded with now, they're not heavy drinkers and they don't, like they don't care if you do. Like they're supportive of me and not drinking, but like they're not the types of pressure but i think that kind of comes with maybe being older i don't know but it's been good my gpa went up i was able to graduate with honors i entered nasa competition which you got to see a little bit of on the yeah. marco polo group things are just better my relationship has gotten like loads better my relationship like outside of like my nuclear family have gotten better i've made like my first uh, friends, my first real friends, and probably since I left Arizona in 2010, I haven't made a real friend since until um, I'm still in touch with two of my classmates from my rover group, and we hang out occasionally, even after, like, we all work at different places, but we get together every month or every other month, and some of them I play Fortnite with <laughs> on the weekends, which is fun. It's just, like, I was really sad because I didn't, like, a year ago from now, I was really sad because I didn't have any friends, but I was also healing from a long journey of just unresolved trauma and not knowing how to cope with this adult, not having anyone to turn to and turning to alcohol instead. And I wasn't ready to have a friend because I was not a good friend. And I'm glad that I didn't make any friends because I'm glad I didn't have other people that I hurt in the process. So I'm really grateful for the people that I've met recently and they came at like the right time where I can be, you know, I can reciprocate. Yeah, that that initial time, while it might have felt lonely, you know, the healing that you were doing, it sounds like has equipped you to be able to to be there for people now. And yeah, definitely. It can be it can be a tough road, not to like not to scare anyone off. I mean, anybody who's attempted sobriety like knows that it can be tough, but that the the rewards when we stick to it, we just you know, we never know. We, we never know the relationships. I mean, there's just so many perks that can that can come from sticking through mm -hmm. those tough times. Yeah, I, lots, I didn't mention it, but lots of Quitlet. Quitlet. I've read a lot. Yeah. Like lots of, you know, I read, I mean, Catherine Gray, Holly Whitaker, you know, all the We Are the Luckiest uh, by Laura McCowan, all of the ones that people recommend at the beginning. And those were very helpful and instrumental because, again, feeling like I wasn't alone, feeling like people messed up just as bad as I did and instrumental so was yeah. a podcast i listen to the podcast i listen to a new podcast almost every day in the beginning i left this out but i also walked my neighbor's dog and having to be up and not hungover and having someone like a like it was like a routine i walked her almost every single day and i had to make sure that i was available for that i couldn't have done that if i was hungover and so early sobriety walking my neighbor's dog helped keep me sober when i was feeling weak I think that's a great tool. You know, there's these little things that we pick up as we listen to the podcast. And there's there was an episode. I have no idea what episode it was. But this guy was talking about service work. And he talked about going to 
going to grocery stores or super centers and, and putting carts back in the cart corrals. That was his, that was his service work for you. Grab the neighbor's dog. And I think yeah. something just to get us out of ourselves is, is, is a great thing. Bethany, we are at the rapid fire round in 30 to 60 seconds. Ask you to answer these questions. Are you ready, sister? Sure. All right. <laughs> what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I wouldn't be fun anymore, which is funny because I had long passed the point of being fun by that point. The alcohol was not making me more fun. It was making me less fun and I just didn't see it. What is a positive that you did not expect in your life without alcohol? A positive I didn't expect? Um, friendship, because I've gained better relationships and better friendships. That's awesome. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Um, probably water, but I do like coffee and I do like cherry Coke or cherry Pepsi. So depending on the time of day and what I'm doing, it's one of those threes. I used to be really into Topo Chico, but those are really hard to find right now. So. I don't depend on them anymore. Yeah. I have like six of my refrigerator from like six months ago and I haven't touched them. <laughs> I think I have two in my, I have this like storage locker in my office. I think I have two of them in there and same thing. I don't see them a whole lot. So, so yeah, I, so I, I don't know what the hell I'm like saving an them for. <laughs> an emergency. <laughs> Somebody's getting married. Somebody had a baby. I had a shitty day at work. Bust out the topo. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do when you find yourself with a craving? Um, the last time I had a really strong craving, because the second, like the first year was the year of cravings. The second year, not so much. Last time was actually when I went to Deadwood with my fiance um, in June. And I had never, like that, like I could practically taste the alcohol that first night we were there because I didn't realize how much of a party town it was. There's casinos everywhere. It's like a place people go in that part of the country for like bachelorette parties and bachelor parties and stuff like that. I had no idea until we got there. Whoa. And I was just, I said something and it was almost like I was testing the water. Like in that time I was testing the waters because I said, I don't want to do, I'm not going to drink tonight, but man, maybe in a couple years, well, I'll be able to drink again. And my fiance just got really quiet and he didn't drink and he expressed an interest. Like he did not, like he was like, I could tell he didn't want to say you better fucking not, but he <laughs> wanted to like, <laughs> And so like this trip was for him and he even waited until I was 100% comfortable and not feeling that way anymore before he had any alcohol. And even then he didn't really drink that much around me while we were there. He would like, he might have a drink with dinner, but he wasn't getting drunk or sloshed or anything. So I think just being honest and talking about it, but it's really hard to get to that place. Before that happened, like when I was talking about being in that wedding and that I wanted to drink really bad, I smoked a cigarette because it made me sick to my stomach. And if I was sick to my stomach, I wouldn't want to drink and guess what it worked. So I guess making myself physically ill <laughs> is the way. I think those are two valid things it, it, with, a, with yeah. a craving. You get yourself sick or communicate. And that's where. Yeah, tell wanna, someone. I just want to throw a little Sorry. plug in there for, for community and, and the power of community is uh, to have someone to, someone to talk to when you're going through it. Uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? My favorite resource in recovery right now is Marco Polo because it's uh, my fingertips and it's like people that, it was the best tool for me to feel included and close to people. And like I belong because yeah. everyone's really nice. And they're just, if you have something, they're right there. And if you just need to get something off your chest, then it's like, you know, putting it out there to trust a group of people or if, and it, I like to help people, you know, like when someone's feeling down or they need support, 
I like having an easy way to support people. Yeah, and another another form of connection for sure. I love that. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, Bethany, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you cancel your Spotify subscription so that you can buy more booze. Uh, I a quick follow up. Did you get the late night instant refund? No, I did not. <laughs> so it wasn't even worth it. <laughs> oh, I love it. The lengths, man. The lengths that we will go <laughs> when we are desperate. <laughs> it's rough. It's some of it's rough. Bethany, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for your patience. Oh, you're you're great. Um, I think you're going to help a lot of people, and uh, it's an inspiration. People, people, you, you know, like like you said in your story yourself, people relate. It's and it's it's hearing these stories that 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 help us get through. So nice job, sister. I appreciate you. Thank you. Recovery Elevator. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Bethany, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Bethany talked about some really important things today. And I love the awareness that she holds about herself. And I want to recognize how brave that is. The way she talked about her progression and realizing how these situations in her life shaped her responses. It can be incredibly difficult to look back on what has happened to us and on what we've done to others. But she did that today. And I'm proud of her. Each of our guests have done that. It's that boldness that has led to healing of our listeners. To everyone who's been on one of the past 418 episodes, thank you. Thank you for letting us in. Thank you for sharing the hard times, the lessons learned, and your path forward to a life of freedom. If you're interested in sharing your story on the podcast, feel free to hit us up. You can either email us at info at recoveryelevator.com or you can shoot me a direct line at chris, that's K-R-I-S, at recoveryelevator.com. That's all we've got for today, team. Remember, the only way out is through. We can do this. I love you guys. Why you're doing this and then go get it.